everyone. Welcome to the Black Women's Wellness Podcast. I'm Deja Love, and this is a podcast where we amplify Black women's voices as we discuss the different ways we manage stress and maintain our well-being. We want to ensure that all Black women live productive, meaningful, and robust lives unhinged by stress. The goal is not to perpetuate the myth of perfection, but to show progress by engaging in conversations with an array of Black women and hear their stories about how they maintain their wellness amid stress. This is an authentic podcast by Authentic Women. So we are excited that you have joined us. Sit back, listen, subscribe, like, and let's get into today's episode. I am so excited. I am joined by the phenomenal Dr. Yolanda Hancock, also known as Dr. Yola. I'm so excited. I say this every podcast episode because I'm excited for all of our guests. I'm really excited to have Dr. Yola here. We're going to get into a topic very complex, but we're going to break it down is how does a Black woman pediatrician innovatively incorporate wellness for our families and how she is also not immune to medical racism plus how Reiki is used as a tool for our wellness. So let's jump right in. Dr. Yola, how are you today? I'm good, beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm wonderful now. Now that we're here talking, I am really happy to have you here. I think I first want to start out before we dive in, but how do you as a busy pediatrician, a mom, an active community member, a Reiki provider yourself, and many of the other leadership roles that you have, how do you prioritize your own wellness and your energetic alignment amidst the demands that are placed upon you? Deja, I'll be really honest with you. It's a continuous challenge. It's a Mm. challenge to prioritize my own wellness and energetic alignment especially in the face of the pandemic, right? It has required all of us to be, quote unquote, on Mm -hmm. in ways that we've never previously had to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at times during this pandemic, I have not only been a mom, I've also served as my daughter's teacher. Mm -hmm. I've served as her counselor. I have clearly served in some of those roles for other individuals, being a physician and a public health expert, in the midst of a pandemic, um, both in terms of delivering clinical care Mm -hmm. um, and in being able to sort of be a voice for the community, there's a continuous, I always envision it like I'm a power strip Mm -hmm. and I'm continuously having people plug into me to to draw and I'm grateful to give it. But if I don't have an energy source with which to plug into, I'm either not giving out energy or the energy Mm -hmm. I give out is just awful, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one wants bad energy being given. And so in order for me to be able to serve, I know I have to serve self first. Mm. And the other way in which I sort of prioritize my own wellness is that I know my daughter's watching me Mm. and learning from me. And I'm always cognizant of the example that I'm setting for her growing up. I watched my muscle, my mom hustle and grind and always be on and the way that she did it, it made it seem really easy, even though I saw that she was very, very stressed. And she seemed always to be stressed. And we didn't often, I mean, we had fun, but like the way that I try to show up for my daughter in 
doing Reiki practice. Like if I mm-hmm. feel stressed, I'm honest with her about how I'm feeling. I will mm-hmm. say, you know, today was a very challenging day. What mommy needs to do is pull out her yoga mat and just sit and be. Mm-hmm. So in that time, I, I just need, I need to be by myself for a little bit. And then I give her that space. When I sense that something's going on with her, I'm like, what do you feel like you need to do right now? She said, I think I need to listen to some calming music and oh. just be. Oh, wow. And I know that that would not have been manifested had I not demonstrated it myself. Mm. So I'm very self-aware of body. I'm self-aware of sort of physiology, physiology, physiologically how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Do I feel like my shoulders are up to my ears? Am I breathing more shallow? Is my heart rate up? And when I sense that, what is going on to make me feel like that? Is it that I have not? found joy in like days, weeks, months? Mm. Is it that I have not taken time to commit to my own self-care? And there are times where she, as my um, accountability partner, Mm. will say, mommy, um, when's the last time you did Reiki? Because you seem tense. (laughs) And giving her the space to be able to say it without worrying that she's being, quote unquote, disrespectful or Mm. that her head will get chomped off because what do you mean? I sound stressed. Well, that in and of itself distressed right Right, right, so being able to hear how she sees me Mm. knowing that okay I I have disconnected from my own wellness my energetic balance is off Mm. let me recommit to my own practice so that one I come into this space whole and Mm. I'm providing the excellent example for my daughter so that it becomes almost like a reflex for her in Mm. the future oh wow so it sounds like you're approach is holistic. I mean, not just in you as a pediatrician, public health expert, but as a mom and raising this next generation, I guess your daughter, what do they call that? They're the alpha generation. Is yes. that what it's called? Yeah. Of course, has pluses and minuses because of course, being a quote unquote alpha female, we're a very strong personality. I'm type A. I want to do it all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me concerned for her knowing how much she also channels some, we mm. just actually this weekend had a conversation about perfectionism. Mm. Um, she was going through this significant emotional roller coaster and I asked her what's going on. And it's just asking a bunch of questions. Mm. Why do you feel that you feel that way? What makes you feel like that? What could be different to make you feel better about, like it was learning how to play hockey at school and she couldn't get it. Mm. And I mean, she was beating herself up. Yeah. And so part of me was in, you know, reflecting is there, are there some perfectionism tendencies that I'm projecting? Mm -hmm. Are there some perfectionism tendencies that her father is projecting? And we ended up Mm -hmm. learning that in conversation with her dad, when he would compare himself to her, he would Mm -hmm. talk about how great he was as a student. No, not to him, but how great Mm -hmm. he was as a student, how great he was as a child, Mm -hmm. how great he was as an athlete. And so she's hearing this and she's internalizing it, expecting Mm -hmm. to show up in these same ways. So when I hear that they may be labeled as the alpha generation, it makes me clutch my invisible pearls because I'm like, what level of expectation? Like, cause I'm Gen X, right? Right, And when I hear Gen X, it's just like, you know, F around and find out generation. Like I'm like, yeah, (laughs) and a chest. And then I'm like, alpha Mm -hmm. generation. Yeah. Hmm. What does that really entail for them? And what do I do to protect her from whatever the stereotypical nuances there may be with that generation? But we're definitely incorporating wellness practices that when we went through, uh, when I decided to end my marriage and get divorced um, Mm. a couple of years ago, Mm. I made sure to connect to every single wellness practice I could imagine Mm. for myself 
and for her, given the fact that that was a very traumatic experience for both of us and really having to be uh, self-reflective and how I was experiencing it and how I was receiving certain emotions and how she was receiving it. Cause there was a lot of guilt mm-hmm. associated with ending a relationship, particularly a marriage from a maternal standpoint, not right. just from a failure of marriage standpoint. And that's where I really had to lean into these mm-hmm. wellness practices to be able to navigate us through it as whole as we could be from an emotional standpoint. Right. Wow. Dr. Yell, you said a lot there. I mean, we could go down many paths. You're, it sounds like, you know, though the connotation of alpha generation, but you are pouring into your daughter. And I, when I hear alpha generation, I think of really a generation that's going to not save us, but just bring something so new that even me as a millennial on the end of the spectrum that we didn't receive because we're still coming from legacies of baby boomers that have had, you know, and I understand their parents had a lot of toxic practices, weren't in therapy, weren't incorporating tools of wellness. And, you know, so I I have a lot of hope for Gen Z's and alphas because they are challenging that. That is not their their legacy as it is for us, you know, Gen X millennial. So I, I, there's there's hope in just hearing how you're so aware of your language, what you say, the energetic space, which that's a huge paradigm shift. I don't want to generalize Black families and communities because there's many nuances, but right. we aren't always thinking of it in that way. If we do, it it tends to be through a religious paradigm and you're challenging that. And that's so, that's so rare and it's so unique. And your daughter is going to be just, she's going to be what we need because we didn't have that. And for her to be so young and those seeds already there, it's just, I have hope. I really do. And I love your perspective on it because when you hear alpha, you also hear beginning. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. certainly is a new beginning. It's a new beginning for us in how we parent. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished writing a parenting book and prayerfully oh, wow. um, we will have it published. My goal is in November. It's uh, World Day of the Child in November. Oh. Um, so any publishers listening, call it <laughs> yes. girl. But it really <laughs> speaks to what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. It's transformative how we transform a generation mm-hmm. really is based on how we parent. Yeah. And being reflective of what our experience was as children growing up in these households of baby Mm -hmm. boomers, Gen Xers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What is the best of it that Mm -hmm. we received? And of the challenges, how do we go and grow through them to Mm -hmm. show up as our best parenting selves so that we create space Mm. for our children to feel the way they feel? I, you know, I I just created for her a mood board and on it is a list of how, she sees people seeing her. Okay. The right side of it is how she actually feels. Okay. And the bottom of it is what does she need from us? Because mm. as parents, we have a tendency to just give advice and tell them what to do. She may just need a hug. Mm. And she may not even be able to think it through to communicate it, but she can take that peg and put it in the board right. and let her know. And there's this notion now of gentle parenting. Mm. I don't think it has to be called gentle parenting. It's just mm. parenting. Why is gentle versus what? Hard? Mm. Like, just let the space that we create for our children to be, to feel, to experience, mm-hmm. to, to optimize their wellness through not using harsh words, right. um, being mindful of our word selection and mm-hmm. what our emotional response is triggered from before we push it out and pour it all over them. Right. That's to me, that's 
that's parenting. That's what it should be. Not gentle, mm-hmm. not mild, but parenting. And mm-hmm. and that's how I operate both in terms of my own parenting and how I partner with parents in my practice to help raise up all these beautiful black children that we now have in this upcoming alpha generation. (laughs) Yes, we do. So Dr. Yola, I mean, first, for those who don't know, if you just Google Dr. Yolanda Hancock, you will see an array of accolades. She's been on media circuit. She's been cited. And I mean, it's just the list goes on and on. And we're not going to get into that because you can see that on Google. I love that we're getting into what folks would not find on Google. And this is the deeper. But you as a parent, as your own wellness being prioritized, and as you so vulnerably, and I really appreciate you mentioning your divorce, you know, it's it seems like you are so in tune to how those emotions are either being absorbed or projected, but then you add the next layer, then you have families and patients and you're the same way you're raising your daughter, co-parenting, you're pouring that into your pediatric patients. How, I mean, what sparked this desire to uniquely, because this is atypical. I mean, you you and I have talked about this fragmented racist medical care system. You are challenging that and that is very unique. What was the impetus for that? And then how do you manage that? Because you're trained and indoctrinated through a system that is the antithesis of what you're sharing with the world. So the duality, that's interesting to me. Right. I certainly part of it, particularly in from the wellness standpoint and sort of natural ways of healing the body. Uh, in some ways, it's almost innate, um, if you will, mm-hmm. being from Louisiana. You know, mm-hmm. there's something magical about individuals coming from the boot uh, <laughs> in terms of natural ways of, of healing the body. My grandmother used to create what we call congents. And a, the definition of congent is literally putting things together. Uh-huh. So she would put all these herbs and spices together if you had a stomach ache, if you had a cold, et cetera. I don't re- really remember going to the doctor oh, wow. while I was in Louisiana. It wasn't until like I moved to Southern California that we'd actually go to the doctor if we were sick. But my grandmother pretty much took care of everything. Um, in college, I became introduced to the mind-body connection. I originally majored in physiological sciences and then transitioned over to psychobiology because I wanted to have a better understanding of mind-body connection. But I also dealt with a very racist um, encounter mm-hmm. with a professor in physiological sciences I went to challenge a grade because I felt like I had been docked points too many. Mm -hmm. And I was told, you know, I was asked, why do you people always want something for nothing? Mm. Knowing that the department was relatively small and I'd likely cross paths with this professor again, I opted to choose a different major. But, you know, I'm very spiritual. I believe God works in all kinds of amazing and miraculous ways, even when it hurts the transition, Mm -hmm. the transformation. Um, And I switched over to psychobiology and I'm forever grateful for it because it allowed me to truly appreciate how powerful the mind is, how powerful and impactful stress is on the physiology of the body in terms of like knowing that there was greater than the Western way of practice of medicine. Really, from the time I was a little girl, I watched my great grandfather, my papa suffer um, health issues while we were waiting to see a doctor in um, where I'm from, Louisiana, small town, Independence, shout out Tangipahoe Parish. But that's when I first committed to becoming a doctor. I watched my papa Mm -hmm. suffer and I did not want him to have to suffer anymore. So I committed to becoming a physician. And then my sophomore year of college, I thought I was going to go into plastic surgery to do craniofacial repair. When I was little, I watched uh, PBS specials. There was this amazing Brazilian surgeon 
who used to travel the world doing craniofacial repairs for children born with birth defects. And I was like, mm. that's what I'm going to do. Mm. But then my sophomore year of college, my cousin Jalisha died mm. again because of lack of access to care. Mm. And by that point, I fully recognized the role that racism mm. and disparities play in terms of differential access. Mm. Because I know that if she had been a white little girl mm. in North Carolina, yeah. she would likely have survived and thrived through it. And so it made me pivot fully away from a career in plastics to a Mm -hmm. career in pediatrics, but not just in terms of clinical care, but what are all the systems at play from the family dynamics and the cultural issues Mm -hmm. all the way through to the actual practice of medicine. And I've never looked back between college and medical school. I taught elementary school for a couple of years. A lot of folks don't know that Um, out in Watts in Los Angeles. And that's when I really gained a full appreciation of the impact of things like hunger mm-hmm. and the impact of challenging family dynamics on a child's ability to learn. Mm-hmm. And then when you understand that a child's ability to learn later links to his ability to gain income and then that determines mm-hmm. where he or she lives and what access they have to healthy food, physical activity, um, health care, the yeah. ability to decrease their levels of stress that they experience. All of that transitions and mm-hmm. translates into challenging health outcomes. If I don't work on all of those things, Mm. me sitting in this office, getting kids their checkups means nothing. Mm. If I, one, don't start from hopefully preconception. Mm. So when I'm talking to an adolescent young lady, a young girl about the beauty of who she is as a black woman, Mm. how wonderful her hair is, Mm. how highly intelligent and brilliant and gifted she is, no matter what she wants to do in life, even if she hasn't figured it out yet. Mm. Talking with parents about how we nurture this child. What books Mm. do you have on their bookshelves? How are you talking to them about your stress, their stress? What examples are you setting for your children to follow? That's how I've been able to integrate Mm. um, my own personal experience and journey in a career in medicine, but with the appreciation of how our minds influence our health and what are the other modalities that we can utilize outside of a prescription to help optimize health. I created my own rotation, shout out to UCLA School of Medicine, They encouraged me Mm. to create some of my own rotations. I rotated at a Native American reservation in San Diego. That's where I was first introduced to the practices of Reiki, acupuncture, cupping, et cetera. Mm. I literally saw a diabetic wound heal over the six weeks that I was there. Western medicine couldn't do anything for this patient. Mm. They had tried all the clinical things and nothing worked. Six weeks of Reiki and acupuncture. This person's wound literally healed until the skin was completely smooth. Wow. And it wasn't that it was like some phenomenon that no one could explain. We understand that there is healing and touch, that Mm. there's energy throughout the body. And that like it was so eye opening for me. I was like, this has to be part of what I do in practice for the rest of my career. And and I've been able um, to navigate these very natural ways of healing and marrying it to medicine. Like, I don't even know where my prescription pad is because majority <laughs> of the time that I'm working with families, both adults and in, in the pediatric space, it's talking through stress. It's talking yeah. through sleep and all of wow. those things that impact health. That's powerful, Dr. Yola. That is, that can't be underscored because the majority of your colleagues do not do that and look down upon and I hate to say the term ulterior <laughs> approaches to medicine because it's not, it's really right. the forefront. Like it's existed before we've come to this, this nation that we occupy. Absolutely. Uh, 
it's just so fascinating to me because we minimize the power of energy. And just as you describe, you're a UCLA medical student, you're in your rotations and you saw over six weeks, the healing power, you know, and this I know gets down a whole other path of conversation, but how can we, this, we've talked about this for decades, right? fragmented, broken healthcare system. There's so much literature to bolster wellness and healing and Reiki and acupuncture, yet providers still do not make the connection that you do. How can we surmount that? I think part of it is one, recognizing the racist attitudes in Mm. clinical spaces, that Western medicine is the only way to practice medicine, if you will, mm-hmm. when to your point, these healing practices existed well before mm-hmm. Western medicine even existed. Some of the components of Western medicine are based on right. these historical and current practices. Mm-hmm. And what I find absolutely amazing is that we collectively, particularly people of color, we've not ever removed ourselves from it. Mm-hmm. If anything, we are further wedded to it now than we have ever been before. What it will require is one, the recognition that innately the Western way in which we are trained is racist. We don't give credit Mm -hmm. to Mhotep, the actual Mm -hmm. father of medicine. Mm -hmm. If you ask any medical student now outside of those who have pursued this education on their own, no one would know who Mm -hmm. Mhotep is, Mm -hmm. but it should be in every single medical textbook. The first, first class, when we talk about the history of medicine, Mhotep should be in conversation because he was the father of medicine on the continent of Africa, mm. bringing in all these healing modalities, right? Mm. So it's first recognition that there's racism in the Western way in which we're trained. Two, it's the acknowledgement of the historical and current importance yeah. of natural ways of healing the body. And three, to understand that I don't need a randomized control trial mm. to say that something is a valid <laughs> methodology for healing the body. We know that there is no value placed in these natural ways. Like every once in a while, the NIH might throw you a little change to study it. But particularly for those of us of color who actually write a proposal to study it, we don't get the money. No. But if I'm Jim, you know, Jim Smith. Yes, you do. Yeah. Who who doesn't look doesn't look like either one of us. If he Mm. decides to study it, then perhaps he'll get a little bit of change. But we Mm. have to really acknowledge that we don't get funded. And then why why do we necessarily have to? Right, why does it have right. to be this ivory tower way of approaching mm. care, health yeah, yeah. that is validated? You know, yeah. we, we talk about this in terms of natural ways of healing the body. There are some studies that show the role of Reiki, that show the yeah. role of of, 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 of of food as medicine. Yeah. If we have sufficient data, but until it's actually quote unquote validated in Western ways of raising up the next generation of medical students, mm-hmm. you're going to continually have the collective eye roll right. that I see when we talk about um, Reiki, when we talk about acupuncture, when we talk about food. I mean, even essential oils, not that you need to rub an oil on your body and all of a sudden it's going to take your diabetes away. Mm-hmm. It's not an or, it can mm-hmm. be an and. And in mm-hmm. Western medicine, often it's approached as an or. Mm. And I think that we we have to address that when we're in conversation with our families, be aware of your body language and your thoughts. If Mm. someone says, oh, yeah, I had um, my child had asthma. I put some peppermint essential oil in a bowl and had them breathe over it and their asthma got better. Don't roll your eyes and be like, really? That's what did it? Mm. No, be like, okay, well, what oil did you use? Mm. How long was he good? Well, this is what I'd like us to do based on his exam. I'm still hearing him wheeze a little bit. Why don't we do these things together? Right, right. Why can't we, as healthcare providers, 
be more open to that. If we were to address it in that way, I think that there would be more mm-hmm. space for people to feel comfortable to bring in these natural ways of healing without being hesitant in the doctor space. Mm-hmm. And it would be an opportunity for us to learn. I honestly think if I had if I had the opportunity to create a medical school, I would absolutely, as part of required rotations, include these natural ways of healing. I would have curanderas from mm-hmm. Latin America come in. Mm-hmm. I would have um, some of my people from Louisiana with my grandmother and her herbs and spices come in and talk through, his, give the historical context for people of color mm-hmm. in terms of what the healing experience has been and continues to be. Right, right. How do your your families and your children, how do they respond to this approach? Because I, I would imagine some of them are coming from more traditional Western pediatricians and then they see you and your energy that's exuding. And for those who don't know, Dr. Yola, her energy, you feel as if she is your family member. You walk into her practice and the energy is just visceral. It, it's There are no other words to describe. You feel safe. You feel comfortable. You feel as if there's a warm hug. That's that's the energy that Dr. Yola brings. So how are your your families? What what do they say when they come into this environment, which is very different probably from what they've experienced previously? Well, y'all can't see me, but I'm over here doing a happy dance because the (laughs) fact that Deja sensed that gives me such joy because that was that was the whole purpose of creating this space is that Mm -hmm. when you walked in here and when you are with me, you feel like I'm just the family member that shows up with a stethoscope. They certainly appreciate it. I keep my overhead low. If anyone comes to see me, they know that I'm all the things Mm -hmm. Um, because in order for me to be able to be fully present for my families and give them the space and time that I think families deserve, Mm -hmm. it means I'm not going to spend money on front desk and nurses and all these things Mm -hmm. because the more people I have on my team, the more patients I have to see, which means the less time I have available to Mm -hmm. my family. So that's the first um, purposeful decision that I made. And does it require me to do more work? Absolutely. But I love love every minute of it. Mm -hmm. What they appreciate most is the collaboration. We join together, particularly in the pediatric space, we collaborate to create space for this child to be raised in the healthiest way possible. Mm -hmm. From the time that they are conceived, if I am lucky enough to serve as the doula, Mm -hmm. or at two to three days of life when they come in brand new, or when they come in at 18 because they've been seeing somebody else and they're like, wait, I need to come in see sis because sis is Mm -hmm. over here having conversations and giving us space to just be. I don't nickel and dime people. If the child comes in for a well child visit and mommy and daddy have five questions and concerns, we're going to talk about those five questions and concerns. We're not going to sit there and be like, no, this is just a well-child checkup. Uh, if he has a rash, I can't see that rash right now. That's a separate sick visit. What's the purpose of that? Mm-hmm. Like, you're here, I'm here, let's go, right? Mm-hmm. And I, all, I, I acknowledge the fact that I created my own space. I own my own mm-hmm. practice. I don't have someone telling me that I have to see patients every 15 minutes. Right, right. And so they fully appreciate it. We are in a, in a time now where families are given ultimatums. Yeah. You either get your child fully vaccinated or you can't come to our practice. Mm-hmm. And although I am full pro vaccine, my child is fully vaccinated. I have no concerns around the safety of vaccines. What I also appreciate is that parents need to make an informed decision based on their comfort. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm not going to do is tell you, you can't come and see me because you've made a decision that ne- doesn't necessarily align with what I know to be from a clinical standpoint, mm-hmm. a safe decision. I have no concerns around vaccines, but if families do, we're going to navigate this space together. 
Mm. When and if ever you decide to get your children vaccine vaccinated is your choice. I'm mm-hmm. just here to be a conduit of that information. And that mm-hmm. in and of itself sets me apart from other healthcare yeah. professionals who I don't take it personally. You don't want to get your kid vaccinated. That, that's no reflection on me mm-hmm. and your distrust of me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you don't trust the system. And I get it. I have. Mm-hmm. There have been times where I haven't trusted the system. Right. Right. Like we just got a new RSV vaccine for adults. And I'm like, I didn't even know RSV was really acting up in grownups like that to the point where we needed a shot for them too. Like I've only known it to be in pediatrics, but now we got a shot for that. It makes me ask questions and I'm fully transparent Mm -hmm. in how I question the system. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm as a physician able to openly say, well, no, I don't necessarily agree with that. If I say I'm not getting the COVID-19 vaccine immediately because I want to wait till 10% of the population gets it before I get it. Because I'm still human, I'm going to be open and honest. I'm not going to hide that fact just because I'm worried that all my colleagues are going to look at me like I'm some sort of Mm anti-vaxxer. If that's how you label me, that's your business. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be as granola as the good Lord has designed me to be (laughs) because that's who I am Mm -hmm. authentically. And Mm -hmm. that's how how I show up in in my clinical space. And I really, I honestly think that that's what sets me apart. It's one of the main reasons Mm -hmm. why... Um, even for patients that I don't see anymore. I've worked at Children's for f- almost 15 years and I'm still in touch with some mm-hmm. of my families in 2023. Some of these folks wow. I haven't seen since like 2009, mm-hmm. but we still stay in touch. And I think it's because of that strong bond of, of relationship that I establish with my families and, and being my full and transparent self. I can't imagine um, being anyone else. I can't imagine right. putting up a front. Right. How can people really trust you? If you're not showing up as your authentic self. Yeah. Dr. Yola, is it possible for us to have other physicians like you to challenge the system? Because you're you're presenting a model that many physicians, I think innately, that's what why they went into medicine. But then they get caught up in the insurance and the, you know, the fee for service models and just like all of these things that take them away from it. Is it aspirational to say we need more physicians like you to really challenge this fragmented healthcare system? In order to really challenge the status quo, it takes more than just our training as clinicians. Mm -hmm. It really requires a complete dismantling and restructuring of the clinical system. Mm. We don't get to decide if we're working for someone else. And even in practice now, like I will tell you, I still roll my Honda and Sally Mae is my pimp because (laughs) I'm not over here making banks. Someone recently I was at um, the American Heart Association's heart ball and someone was like, oh, you need to bid on some items. And I was like, sis, I'm over here robbing Peter to pay Paul, just like the rest of us. Right. At a financial sacrifice Mm. to me that I practice the way that I do. But I'm willing to make those sacrifices because Mm -hmm. I know that I'm working for the greater good, particularly for black families. Right. And I accepted that a long time ago for some of Mm -hmm. us financially. We can't make that same kind of sacrifice. Right. right? For a variety of reasons. It's not Mm -hmm. that we don't want to, but simply that we cannot. Mm -hmm. It isn't until we address the challenges in the insurance reimbursement framework, yeah. the fact that we still in this country don't have a universal health care system, yeah. that depending on if I have care first, but if I have care first, PPO versus HMO, right. if I got the PPO, but the preferred, right. it's you can have yeah. 50, di- 50 different insurances under yeah. one insurance yeah. and still not know what you have to pay yeah. or not what or what you're going to get reimbursed as a clinician. Yeah. That's what drives us. It's healthcare care administrators mm-hmm. that drive us to change how we practice medicine. I remember 
when I was at Children's and I loved them to pieces and serve on the board still. But we were told every single day how many patients we needed to see. Yeah. If that meant being double booked, triple booked, yeah. like I can't get into somebody's business. A child comes in to see me and guess what? Oh, I find out that they were suicidal last week, but I got 20 minutes to see you. I need more than 20 minutes. Yeah. By the time I say, hey, how y'all been doing? 20 minutes are gone. But that's what we are. The system that we have to practice in, mm-hmm. in a huge part drives how we end up showing up for our families. It's not that we don't mm-hmm. want to be fully available in the way that Dr. Yola is. It's either RVU'd out of us, right. meaning this revenue, like each patient is a revenue generating unit. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we are trained to see them as. We still try to put in the human part of it, mm-hmm. but a huge responsibility for us is generating income for the institution in which we work. And in mm-hmm. particularly in pediatrics and primary care pediatrics, specifically if you're taking care of a large Medicaid population, mm-hmm. you do not have the luxury of practicing in the way that you dreamed right. you would practice. And it requires right. us to open up practices. But then you have these huge conglomerate organizations yeah. that go out and buy us up. Yeah. And then yeah. they say, you can still work, but you don't have to worry about the overhead. You don't have to worry about the logistics. Work for us. We'll take over the practice. And then you end up in the same position you exactly. were before. Exactly. Yeah, it's cyclical. It's a cycle. And I just... The solution to it, because I don't want to be fatalistic. You know, we want to have hope and optimism. But what you just articulated is what a lot of consumers are unaware. This is the behind the scenes element of healthcare, Yeah. And the population health that many people that do not look like you and I are leading are in these board meetings and are making decisions for the population, not having not just lived experience, but the cognition of intersectionality to understand how nuanced it will be. And that's where I I just, it's a challenge, Dr. Yola. And that's why I see you for Reiki for my alignment, because I get, I get challenged by this knowledge. You know, I just wish we had a cadre of more Dr. Yola's that had the and I don't, I'm not pitting that had the bravery and the courage to say that in spite of revenue, I am going to serve our community because if not me, no one else will. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's a brave decision. Like, like are there nights that I'm like, okay, my daughter graduates in 2030. What does this look like for us? But I have faith. Again, I'm a very spiritual being. Mm. I know God did not put me on the planet for this calling and not take care of me. Mm. Every single time that I have ever had a concern, a worry about particularly financial, because that's like if you were to ask me, Dr. Yola, of all the things in life that are service stressors, what is your stress? My stress is finance. But I know that and I turn it over to him or her our higher power mm-hmm. so that when opportunity and, and he, she, they always provide mm-hmm. every single time. And so I can walk firmly and confidently in my faith, knowing that my calling, my purpose, I am walking fully in it. And there are other layers to it that I will pursue as time progresses. Right. I don't have to worry because I know that my needs and wants will be provided for as will my daughters. Yes. That's good. That's good. I love that. And and you mentioned this previously, Dr. Yola, you mentioned that you also, you have faith, you have trust, you know that it is working for your good. 
and you question the system. I think you were recently, you were showcased in this amazing documentary, Birthing Justice, that really highlighted the DMV talking about birth rates and outcomes and the birthing crises that Black and women of color and, and birthing persons experience. I think many people listening may, I'm not because I'm in public health, but others may be a little shocked to know that you are not immune for medical racism. Can you tell us about, you talked about the racism of just your training as a physician, but then you birthing your daughter, being on the patient side, that even though you're a physician and you're going in and you're cognizant, you're aware and you're advocating for yourself, that did not protect you. Could you talk right. about that a little bit more? Absolutely. One would think that being a physician, being a public health expert, particularly in maternal and child health, that somehow that would make me immune to complications related to being a birthing parent. Um, what I would say is that the medical racism for me was serving as an employee. Mm -hmm. um, being pregnant, I, it was very complicated. I was nauseous every single day. Mm -hmm. I was in the hospital a couple of times. It was a miracle that both she and I made it to the finish line. And that's what I kept praying. Lord, if you just let me let me make it to the finish line. This is after having dealt with infertility, a miscarriage, all those things. And I remember um, a couple of weeks before I had my daughter, I was just feeling stressed, knowing from a public health standpoint what my risk was for preterm labor, all the things, right? We knew all, we know too much. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling one of my bosses and saying, I need to take something off my plate. My concern is that I'm either going to go into preterm labor or I, we're not going to make it. I was very transparent. And I was told everyone's being asked to do more. Pregnancy wow. is no excuse. Wow. Pregnancy is no excuse. And it just, it took my breath away because I'm like, I'm not making an excuse. I'm working at 150%. Yeah. Like I'm seeing pediatric patients, obesity medicine patients. I'm helping you with your research. I'm mm. still doing talks. I'm doing all the things and I'm still teaching at GW. Mm. I'm just asking for one of these things to temporarily be removed so that I can actually cross the finish line and not go into preterm labor. It didn't matter. And so I still worked. Wow. I literally worked until I was, I was literally laboring, trying to finish out midterms wow. for my students at GW. And we made it through. I got to deliver my baby girl. It was beautiful until the day late to the next day. Mm. Her father and I, I would say, got into what I call intense fellowship. We had a bit of a falling out. Mm. And my body was like, sis, I've taken you as long as I could. Mm. And my blood pressure shot up into like the 180s, close to 200 over 100. Like the wow. systolic, diastolic, everything. Wow. I literally thought I was going to die. I felt like my head was about to explode. And I remember panicking because I was like, God, I can't be this. I can't have crossed the finish line mm. to die now. Mm. I just got her. Mm. And all I could think through was all of the stress that I experienced working, that I had experienced in my marriage. Mm. And like, I love my OB to, to pieces, um, but she was not necessarily trained to check in with me from a psychosocial and emotional standpoint. Mm. It was fundal height, heart rate, protein in my urine. Am I gaining weight? Those were like the four metrics mm. for the success of the pregnancy. And I, I really craved for her to be like, are you okay? How are you doing with this pregnancy? How are things at work? How are things? It, none of that was asked. And I don't mm -hmm. blame her. It's just, mm -hmm. that's not how 
the training facilitates those kinds mm-hmm. of conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's in that. It's not mm-hmm. for me, like if you were to ask me, how can we center black women and black, black birthing people in general, mm-hmm. it's honoring and p- protecting black birthing parents mm-hmm. from the home, through the workspace, society, in the clinical space, in all mm-hmm. of those spaces. Yeah. Ask them questions, especially from the clinician standpoint, What's home like for you? I bet we would discover some domestic abuse that people are dealing with, Mm. some marriages that may not survive Mm. childbirth, Mm. what the work environment is like. No Mm. one asked me any of those questions and it facilitated what I believe to be a hypertensive crisis. We're not Mm. we're not given space not to be okay. Mm. And when we're when we say when we finally verbalize that we're not okay, we're not listened to. We're not taken seriously in the home in work and in the clinical spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. Really centering Black women by listening to and Black birthing persons by what they're, like you said, home, work, and just where they are emotionally, spiritually, mentally. That's really powerful because that's not centered. (laughs) That's not centered at all. No, a lot of the conversations are around clinical care. Yeah. My OB was phenomenal. Shout out to Dr. Chandra Graham. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the, the couple of days before my daughter was born, she stopped moving. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought she was going to be stillborn, mm-hmm. which again, stress, right? Cortisol yeah. shot, shoots up. The day that I went in to get a biophysical profile to make sure she was still alive, mm-hmm. I had to call because I had patients scheduled that day. I called. I was like, I can't come in. And they're like, well, when do you plan on coming in? Wow. I was like, are you kidding me? And now, y'all, I don't. I have historically not cussed, but the cussing spirit came over me that day. I cussed my boss up one side and down the other. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just told you I'm at the hospital because I think my baby may be dead. And you're worried about when I'm about to show up to see other people's kids? Yeah. Get the blank out of here is what I said. And it's interesting. He actually saw the documentary a couple Mm. of weeks ago. Okay. He sent me a text and he said, I'm literally crying right now I had no clue what you were going through until this moment and that speaks volumes one my ability to put a mask on right Mm. because this is what black women do we mask Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. mascara up and mask up Mm -hmm. to show up for everybody else Mm -hmm. and two I know there were days that I did not mask well and people just ignored it That day being one of them, I just told you I'm at, I'm literally coming out of a parking lot to head into a hospital mm. for this exam to make sure she's still alive. Right, right. And your concern is whether or not I'm going right. to show up for work. Right. Like what world do black women live in where yeah. the possible death of my baby mm-hmm. does not make you pause and just be like, sis, we'll be praying for you. Like, that's yeah. all I needed to hear was we'll yeah. be praying for you. That's it. Yeah. And that's our lived experience Mm -hmm. every single day. We're Mm -hmm. the hardest working, highest expected, lowest paid people on this planet. We're showing up for our families, the people we work with, the work people we work for, everybody. Yeah. But the minute we need something, it's like, well, what's wrong with you? Right. You can't do this. You can't. No, I cannot. Right. And so I give all my sisters permission to say, no, I cannot. Yes. I owe you nothing. Yes. Because I owe myself everything. Yes, that's a word. I owe you nothing. I owe you I nothing. owe myself everything. That's a word. Wow. And how did you respond to this prior employer 
once they saw the birthing justice documentary and they said they were crying. Ooh, that would have restraint would have had to come over me because I would have been like, oh, the chicken's coming home to roost now. Well, that's certainly where Reiki and yoga come in. I'm certainly in a much more centered place. I will still, I will tell y'all the cousin spirit will still come over me every once in a while, but I got to be real mad for it. I, I, it was in love. Mm. I said, I hope that watching it gives you the insight and perspective needed mm. for people in the future to extend them grace, mm. compassion and consideration. Mm. Wow. And I, I, you know, I always say God takes us through these things, not for ourselves. Sometimes it's for our own edification, Mm -hmm. but there are times in life where I know I'm going through stuff, not for me, Mm -hmm. but because I know it will help someone else. And God and I will have a conversation where I'm like, listen, why come? Like, I'm going to get real, real, real with God. Why come? I can't get it the easy way. Mm-hmm. Why come we got to do, do it this way? Why why is it right. the road less traveled every time I get ready to do right. X, Y, or Z? And right. then I will literally hear in my spirit, mm. it's because you are a trailblazer. Mm. And I know you have the capacity to not only navigate through, but bring others with you. Wow. wow. And that's what gives me peace. And that's when, when he sent me that text. My heart rate didn't go. I had not a single physiologic response. It made me smile. Mm. And I said, one, that's the power of this documentary birthing right. justice make sure you see it yes. and two that's the that was that's the whole reason why my sorority sister my profite monique matthews created this opportunity mm. was for that moment and for other moments there will be other people who watch that documentary and one they'll recognize that for black women mm-hmm. this isn't just like some statistical yeah misnomer yeah. this is across the socioeconomic yes standpoint like if a physician is going through this it isn't just ray ray from around the way and his girl who are on medicaid etc no this is high-end insurance with several degrees going through the same thing and you know i just appreciate that it triggers these kinds of conversations and reflections yes and i also just wonder when will you know this is a loaded question because just what you're describing you know i'm on uh strategic advisory committee. And I think it's actually the perinatal mental health task force um, in the district in partnership with DC government's Department of Healthcare Finance. And Dr. Yola, when I say that all the people on this call are white women, white women, and because I'm not a member of the task force, I'm coming as the public though, in my cap in public health as the CEO is the last five minutes of the meeting when public comment was allowed. And I said, this is a state of emergency. As I'm seeing only white women on this call, you all have the privilege and the luxury of this just being an afterthought. But for women and birthing persons that look like me and the story that you just described, this is life. And so what are you, D.C. government, doing? Because this is just another agenda item. But for us, we are dying. So I need you, white women. I need you, Karens, to step back. And what are you truly doing? And I know that made them really uncomfortable because D.C. government, and I know, you know, digressing on my soapbox, we love to just ideate and have meetings to meet, but not to solve. And my thought was, what are we doing to solve? Because you all are not listening to any black people in this this task force. There are all white women present. And if there were black women again, and I'm not trying to indict folks, 
it was maybe a, some white ideology that has mm-hmm. been internalized mm-hmm. or there was a silence. And it's just what you said is how do we get to a point of this has been it's a 2023 and the data is not improving per se. Right. I think part of it is one recognizing that the solution to black maternal health to transition us from surviving to thriving is not within the four walls of a clinical visit. Mm-hmm. When we really start to recognize what we identify as, you know, the social determinants of health, mm-hmm. where a human being is born, mm-hmm. grows, learns, lives, works, plays, prays, and ages. When you start to look at the physical environment, where are where are all these black women living? All right. So I'm in Prince George's County, right? This mm-hmm. is where I reside. What is it in her lived experience that's putting her at risk? Yeah. Her job is high intensity. Her mm-hmm. demands continue to increase. I was eight months pregnant. We decided we were going to see patients dealing with obesity across town in Northwest. I was seeing patients in Southeast. We were on a conference call and they were like, oh, we're going to start seeing patients in Northwest. And I asked the question, well, who's going to be the provider, the physician who goes from Southeast to Northwest? Now, they didn't recognize she was me asking the question. Mm -hmm. The person who was in charge said, oh, Dr. Yolandra Hancock, she will be going to Northwest. And again, y'all remember the cussing spirit came up on me pregnant. I said, the hell I will. (laughs) do you fix your mouth right out of all the healthcare providers available to see patients right how do you fix your mouth to say Mm. that the one that's seven months pregnant who during her lunch hour is gonna get up in her car and Mm. drive from southeast to northwest like how am i considered at the center like i should have been the last name on her exactly exactly but without hesitation I was the first name on her mouth. And because I knew I could always get another job Mm -hmm. and I was, I've always been an advocate for myself and my community, but Mm -hmm. knowing my mama bareness showed up once I found out I was pregnant, I said, I will quit this job before I do that. I can always get another job. I don't know that I'll ever be able to have another baby. Right. Right. But even that stress, like I could feel my body tense up when she said I was so angry Mm -hmm. because I felt unseen. Mm -hmm. I felt not not considered like mm. me i was i was the 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 person the spare person i was mm. expendable mm. and for a lot of us as black women that's how we are treated every single day even yeah. without pregnancy yeah that we are expendable oh someone so will do it she'll do it it's hard enough for us to have the superwoman syndrome ourselves mm. but when other people see it and treat us that way when we're trying to fight back and push back because mm. we're trying to protect not only ourselves, but our unborn babies. Mm. Like how much harder is that? Mm. And what made me even more frustrated was everybody sitting around me who looked like me. It was quiet. Wow. So wow. I got to fuss and cuss for myself. Y'all right. ain't saying nothing. Right. And, I, and I let them know. I was like, how y'all going to just sit up on this conference call and not say anything? You right. see me up in here seven months pregnant, barely walking. Right, right. Barely able to hold down food because I'm over here nauseous. But thanks to Reiki, I was able to actually hold some food down. Like, how y'all not going to be up in Mm. here fighting for me? Other black women and folks. Mm. So it isn't just the white spaces, Mm. but it's how we as black people also support black birthing parents. That's a good point. Don't wait for us to ask you for help. Mm. You know, this is a hard job for us to create and hold down a human being for nine to 10 months, show up without me having to ask. Right, yes. Bring me something to eat. Yes. Take on this extra patient. Yes. Take on the extra assignment. Do something. My sorority sister 
um, had a baby in December. I took off for almost two weeks to support her as her doula mm. and just as as her family. Mm. You didn't have to wait and ask me. I showed up. The minute I saw stuff needed to be done, I was like, all right, Sam, this is what we're doing. We're organizing this. We're doing that. And I'm not saying it to brag. Right, what I'm right. saying is to call. it's a call to action. Yes. Yeah. Don't wait for people, particularly bir- black birthing parents. Don't wait yes. for them to ask you for help. We're so used to doing this on our own. Mm-hmm. It is it is a reflex yeah. for us to operate in these spaces, doing it all on our own. We don't even know how to ask for help. Right. Because right. by the time I ask you for help, I got to explain to you how to do it. Right, show you right. what to do. Like, you know what to do. You know, these pampers need to be put up on shelves. Right. You know, the pay, the playpen needs to get built up. Yeah. You know, the car seat needs to be installed and inspected. Mm. Put that on your list. Mm. Don't ask. Do. Ooh, That's yes. how we make a difference for our allies, yeah. white, Asian, whoever. Do something. Say something. If you see mm. something happen, don't wait. We don't need a policy for it. Mm. If you're on a conference call and the person being thrown out to drive across town is black and pregnant, be like, no, 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 no. That doesn't even make any sense. Mm. Why would you ask her to do that? Why do I have to defend myself? Mm. Instead, be like, I'll do it. Yes. Or we'll figure out something mm. else. But sis is not get sis ain't getting in the car. Right, right. Eating her lunch and preparing her body and her mind to see the next slew of patients you have required her to see right. every 30 minutes. Right, right. That's what we need. Is we don't need more like policy is wonderful. Big P is fantastic. If Big P is going to reimburse doulas at a fair rate mm. compared to what they're trying to pay them right now. That's yeah, point. that's the policy. Yep. Yep. But it's about the practice of protection. Practice that's what I want us protection. to do. The practice of protection. How are you practicing protection of black birthing parents so mm. that they have equitable mm. birthing outcomes? Yes. Before delivery, during delivery. And after delivery. Yeah. That's that's what I call everybody to do. Figure it out. What are you doing to practice the protection and the promotion and elevation of the black Mm -hmm. birthing parent? The solution is within all of us. It doesn't have to be in a boardroom. It's right here every day. It's in your family. Mm -hmm. Stop calling on the pregnant person to do things Mm -hmm. because she's always the one. Yeah. They're always the one. Like, no more. No more. What are you doing for them? Right. Right. How are you showing up? Oh, that's good, Dr. Yella. That is good. We could we could just keep talking. This is oh man, we have to play this back, y'all. Y'all heard it here. Dr. Yola. Wow, that's a word. That is word. It is not the big P policy. It is practice of protection and elevation. It wherever you occupy. Wherever such you a occupy. word. Such a word. Yeah. Dr. Yola, thank you. We have been graced by your presence and just the gems and jewels and the wisdom and a sage, uh, just advice that you've given us. What are your parting words as we close for our listeners? We've talked about a lot, but I love this through line. I love the through line of how Black birthing persons and Black women have to be centered. What are those closing words that you want to share with our audience? My the name of my health center is Generational Health Center, and I was purposeful in it because our mantra is transforming health generations at a time. Mm-hmm. So I will leave you with a quote from the novelist, the brilliant mind of James Baldwin. Oh, yeah. Children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Wow. My question to each of us as black people in this country raising up these next generations, are you living your life in a way that you want them to imitate. Mm. And if not, determine what needs to be changed 
and how will you affect that change? Mm, that's good. Thank you, Dr. Yellow. Where can folks find you? I know after this episode, people are just going to want to continue to follow you. How can they connect with you? On social media, you can find me at Ask Dr. Yola, A-S-K-D-R-Y-O-L-A. Mm-hmm. On Facebook and LinkedIn, it's Dr. Yolandra Hancock. And my website is AskDrYola.com. Wonderful. Dr. Yola, thank you for being here. And we appreciate you. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Black Women's Wellness Podcast. Please continue to listen to our upcoming bi-weekly episodes. Connect with us on our website, thebwwa.com, as well as on social media. And let us know what resonates from this episode. We want to continue to support Black women who are stressed, who are burnt out and overwhelmed. So we invite you to donate to the Black Women's Wellness Agency on our podcast by going to the bwwa.com about section, clicking the donate button. We love hearing from you, engaging with you. And until next time, stay well and remember our wellness is infinite. Take care, everyone.